calling all psychonauts. May you enjoy the days through the haze. Enjoy what is now. This episode of the Slightly Fuzz podcast is sponsored by Bud Tea Company, a cannabis apparel brand from Maine. Check them out at budteco.com. That's B-U-D-T-E-E-C-O.com. Or follow them on Instagram at budteco. Tell them Slightly Fuzz sent you. Okay, Kent Stump, guitarist, vocalist of Woe Fat. Thanks for How being you doing? Here. Glad to I'm be here. Thanks. Well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being on, man. Um, I've, I've, I've always been a fan of Woe Fat. Well, as long as I've been into this type of music, which isn't super long. But I consider Woe Fat one of those bands that's just kind of like the epitome of stoner metal. And wow, cool. You guys do a little bit of whatever it is that is stoner metal, like <laughs> long songs, you have short songs, you have slow songs, you have fast songs, you have instrumental, you have vocals, you have a desert vibe, you have a space vibe, you have a swampy vibe. I mean, you kind of just bring it all in and and that's Wofat, in my opinion, which is very wow. cool. That, that's great to hear. I mean, I kind of feel like we're, we do that too, but you know, it's hard for me to be objective about things. So Yeah. So let, let's go back to like... 2003, I think, is your your first album. How long have you been a band? When did you guys get? Well, 2003 is really when we first started started jamming together. Um, Okay, it was 2006 before we actually got the first record finished and released it. So, but yeah, it's been really been yeah that almost 20 years. Wow, almost 20 years. Now that I think about it that way, yeah. But it was it was a really slow uh, slow start. Like we, you know, we would get together and jam once every like couple of months or something and so it was just why it took like three years before we even had, a, had an album but but it was just kind of a slow thing that we you know we started off I, I had some ideas of uh some riffs and kind of what i wanted to do like i i had played in in a more kind of straight metal band prior to that with michael our drummer in the in the late 90s and uh then i you know just kind of i discovered Fu man too like in when uh the actions goes came out Oh, yeah. and, uh, and that just kind of changed my whole thinking about things. And, you know, it, in a way that kind of said, you know, because my entire life I've been drawn to to uh, blues-based music, whether it's, you know, funk, whether it's rock, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, if, if it's blues-based, it's always been appealing to me. And, you know, when I, when I found Free Man 2, it was like, wow, it, it's okay to just do like bluesy riffs. And uh, so that kind of, that, and that was sort of part of the big impetus to start, try to start to start a band. And, and, you know, I also found, discovered around that same time, stonerrock.com and, you know, which was like a great resource back in like, you know, late nineties, early two thousands to find out about bands and find out about the, the genre. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, the, the original goal was like, just maybe we'll play a few local gigs and see what happens. But, but, yeah. you know, I never, never thought that we'd be able to, get you know still be playing this much longer than or this much later and also you know i never expected that we'd actually be able to do some of the cool things we've gotten to do which is is pretty awesome yeah well it it's interesting because i was thinking about it today kind of how what what did the scene look like back then because to me back in 2003 i was in high school and i mean i i talked about on the last couple podcasts new metal at that time was it you know it was like it was corn and death tones yeah and even if you weren't into that, or if you were into, into that and and more, it was at least heavy metal. It was Metallica, yeah. or even mm-hmm. if you went further back, it was Judas Priest or Black Sabbath. But like, I didn't know that stoner rock, stoner metal was 
in existence. I, I didn't know that it existed at all. I mean, the closest I ever came was kind of digging the Queens of the Stone Age, like songs for the deaf at, around yeah. that time. And even then, I just thought they were just another rock band. I just thought they were like, you know, an <laughs> yeah. offshoot of Foo Fighters, Nirvana, like some <clears throat> yeah. kind of rock, grunge rock, something. It wasn't until years later where I started digging deeper and, and realizing that there was like this whole other genre that I didn't even know existed. So <laughs> for you, you know, what did that scene look like when you're, you're getting together with these guys playing? You mentioned Fu Manchu kind of changing, you know, your route in music. But, you know, was there a scene where you were at? Where were there other bands playing this type of stuff? Like, how did you decide to kind of jump into this music that wasn't on radio wasn't on mtv wasn't being really promoted anywhere besides maybe where you were at yeah well yeah it, it you know dallas like especially in the late 90s and early 2000s the, the music the heavy music scene was like just totally focused on pantera and bands that wanted to be pantera essentially yeah and uh which got i was you know i mean i i loved pantera but it's you know I, that wasn't the music I wanted to do and and that whole kind of scene got really played out around here but but I remember like so it would have been like maybe 99 2000 around there going to South by Southwest like for a few years in a row and it was you know right when Man's Ruin Records was still still going and you know that's how I discovered some of these bands was through Man's Ruin releases and uh I don't know if you're hip to them but there were like so many just seminal bands that man's room and put out records like acid king and uh fatso jetson and you know all these great great albums that man's room put out and and they had uh man's ruin showcase at south by southwest that was like just this crazy cool lineup like with acid king and fatso jetson and some of the bands i just mentioned it and then fu manchu's playing like next door with queens of the stone age Wow. You know, and then like like drunk horses playing across the street. It was like it was just mind blowing, and, and like Earthride was playing. And, you know, it was just this crazy. Like I was like, wow, I can't believe there's all these amazing bands. But you know, as far as like the local scene, when we actually did start playing shows, there were a couple bands that were similar that we kind of got to know. And there was like early on, I guess probably two thousand seven or eight, uh, a guy. Uh, that we know in a band called Kinnevetans is he put together his Dallas Doom Days Festival, which, uh, you know, they, he had he managed to find bands from all over Texas that were either stonery or doomy or somewhat close, and it was kind of a, a, I think a good foundational thing for helping build the the scene and kind of get the scene started for that kind of music here in Texas, you know, because Texas has like some great bands now I mean, the scene has gotten I'm a lot stronger I think since then yeah yeah Texas has a lot of great bands kind of in general but I mean mm -hmm. especially for this kind of desert stoner stuff um I was going to ask about that too is like you know what is the influence of Texas just as a whole in this type of music because it seems to to be a lot of bands coming out in Texas but even you know I know you mentioned ZZ Top like on your bio on your mm -hmm. website and and clearly ZZ Top has a big influence on Wofat just with the blues, but also just mm -hmm. being a Texas band, maybe. So what is it about Texas that that brings out this heavy bluesy music? I don't I don't know. The, the, I mean it it's a lot of the the bluesy history of, of Texas music, I think, is a big part of it. And and yeah. you know, like Johnny Winter and and you know, so many 
so many things, so many guys that have, have come from Texas, but just historically in the music and the blues is just a strong, has always been a strong thing throughout the, 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 just the vibe of Texas music, you know, and, and I, who knows, great Mexican food. It's hot. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's also, I think, you know, that Austin and the fact that we have like three, like, you know, Austin, Houston, Dallas, and in San Antonio as well, you know, it's all, we're all re- close enough, you know, within four to five hours of each other. Yeah. And they all have pretty good scenes and, and you can sort of do like a little short circuit of shows and it, it helps to build the, the scene of like statewide regionally really well. And, you know, so everybody knows everybody else and plays shows with everybody else. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to really exp- I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a better explanation than that other than, yeah. you know, I think it, it's just mainly like the blues though, is, is the his, blues history of the, of the state. And, and that is, you know, stoner rock to me is like all about getting back to the roots of, of heavy metal and where it came from, you know, black Sabbath, which were those guys were huge fans of the blues. Yeah. So, you're starting woe fat and obviously the blues has a lot to do with it, but what was your vision for the band at that point? Like trying to play a heavier blues or was it to go like a stoner rock vibe, like Fu Manchu was it to do a desert thing, a spacey thing. Like what, what were you envisioning with woe fat when you were first starting out this band? But you know, it's funny, like my very first thought with it was like around that same time I was, I was listening to a lot of the early stoner rock stuff when I first discovered it, I was also listening to uh, a lot of junior Kimbrough and like mm-hmm. Arl Burnside and those guys, you know, that, that uh, North Mississippi Hill country blues, a trancy one chord blues. And, yeah. and so my, my original thought, I was also listening to, listening to a lot of John Lee Hooker. And uh, it was my first idea was like, I want to do a band. It's like basically that it's like this, this trancy bluesy, you know, simple, like, trance inducing riff but really heavy and that was sort of the original idea and it, it you know pretty immediately veered away from that but that was the original sort of founding concept for me yeah i wanted to ask you about your background in music in general because it's interesting i i read that you actually went to school for like jazz studies is that right <laughs> That is right. I went to the University of North Texas. I have a, a, a jazz performance degree from UNT. And uh, so, what did you yeah, go to school like for? What was your goal with going to school at first? I well, mean, maybe my, for me, like I ended up with a certain degree, but I went there for something else. So, what was what were you going <laughs> for, and how did you end up with jazz studies? Well, so uh, when I went to UNT, and UNT's got a pretty renowned jazz school. Um, and my plan when I got there you know, when I was 18 years old was to graduate there and move to New York and be a jazz musician. And while I was at, at college there, you know, I'm, as always happens when you go to college, you meet a bunch of other people that are just have, you know, introduce you to all kinds of new things. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys I knew is I, I hanging out with them is how I found out about heavier music and, you know, started, I went to, you know, punk clubs here in Dallas in the eighties, which was crazy. The scene here was crazy. And, you know, and, and I learned about Slayer and, and, you know, eighties hardcore and, you know, 
Metallica and think all that kind of stuff, which was like, this was not something I was really hip to before that. And so it, that kind of the, uh, like I said, the, when the, the, the blues, like it has always been a, a drawing factor for me, but the, the intensity of, of metal and heavier music was also really appealing to me as, especially coming from, uh, a jazz, uh, conceptually place of, of thinking like thinking about like John Coltrane and Miles Davis and the intensity that those guys brought to the music and, and, you know, to, which to me is like equally as heavy as, as any of the heaviest metal there is, but there seemed to be, you know, in my mind, they, they both like made sense, you know, concept conceptually and approach wise. And so it, it sort of was like that kind of changed my, where where what i wanted to do musically you know so i wasn't i didn't stick with wanting to just be strictly a jazz musician i wanted to do other stuff that was heavier like did you look at it you know? like one one is for fun and one is for a career like did you think that like maybe there was money in jazz where metal was just going to be your hobby or or vice versa <laughs> or like not, uh, not really i mean i don't know that there's money in either but yeah <laughs> you know but uh like because i i did like when i graduated i i you know i played did wacky gigs i played on a cruise ship for a while i you know toured with broadway show playing in a pit orchestra you know things like that and it that kind of you know i could make money doing that but it really kind of burned me out on playing music and i didn't want to play if, if i had to do that to play music i didn't i decided i didn't want to do that you know, like, like playing wedding gigs and things like that. Yeah. And so, so it did, I guess, I guess in that sense. Yeah. So playing heavier music, riff based music was, was, or I guess sort of a hobby or like a side thing that was fulfilling musically to me. I asked, be, not because I, I don't want to be like cliche and be like, well, you don't, you don't look like a jazz musician or anything like that, but like, stoner metal is is so interesting in, in that way where you can kind of take all these different sounds and influences and and put them in and you can make a mil- really like soft melodic record or you can make a really hard slow sludgy record or and anything in between so you're in a, you're in a good spot because you know if you were in some other genre your jazz studies degree wouldn't wouldn't come again <laughs> yeah yeah i think that was one thing that, that kind of like drew me to the scene as well it was the openness to to experimentation and exploration and just openness to other ideas. You know, yeah. like I said, you know, in the nineties, I was, Michael and I had a, a more kind of straight ahead metal band and like that scene, like I said, is very Pantera focused. And it was also had, had a, a, uh, much more like I'm harder than you are kind of thing. And it's just like a lot of fronting and, and just people trying to be hardcore and, yeah. and, you know, and it's like, I don't know, that's not why I'm playing music to, to do something like, you know, to get that kind of vibe. I just, you know, I just want to play music. It's cool. And then I dig. I kind of touched on that on the podcast before (laughs) for my own history. It it, like, I was into heavy metal. I was into Metallica and Megadeth and stuff. And then it kind of just got heavier from there, like Lamb of God and, Mm -hmm. and some of the newer metal bands. And at a certain point, not that I don't like that stuff anymore. I I do, but it, it's got to a point where everyone was just kind of trying to like out, heavy each other how mm-hmm. crazy each other like their album covers got crazier their logos got <laughs> crazier their clothes they got angrier their screaming got angrier and it was like yeah it has got to a certain point where i was like i don't even know if i enjoy listening to this actually right. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Like I, it, it was more of like a thing where I just liked saying that I was like, oh, fuck yeah, like as heavy as possible, <laughs> you know? And at, certain, yeah. at a certain point, I was like, actually, you know what? You know what I really like is Queens of Stone Age. And they're not, <laughs> you know, not like that at all. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of like steered away from it and got into mm-hmm. all, all this music, all this desert and stoner and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah. So it's, I haven't heard any any like trombones or anything in Wofat. <laughs> Is that coming? Are you going to incorporate no. more and more of this? This no, that, no, that's that won't that won't be happening. No. <laughs> did, did you play trombone? I, I, did, I, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, when I was at UNT's, but I I literally haven't played it in probably fifteen years. So I played trombone in like uh, in like middle school. I okay. uh, I wanted to play drums. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold a beat. So I got kind of a signed trombone. It was kind of like my second choice. <laughs> and we didn't have any other trombone players. So like she was like, you're not going to play drums. You're going to play this. And <laughs> it was cool. But that was in like seventh grade. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so you have a recording studio also. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, it's called Crystal Clear Sound in, in, and it's in Dallas. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Is that yes. kind of your your day job now? That that has been my day job for twenty plus years, actually. Um, yeah, so I Crystal Clear is a, a studio that's been in Dallas and opened in nineteen seventy eight, and uh, as you know, it's, it's actually at this point the longest consecutively open studio that's been in, in Dallas. And uh, I started working there as a staff engineer in nineteen ninety seven, and then uh, in twenty thirteen. Michael and I took over the ownership of the studio and we've been running it ever since then. So, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's my day job and how I make a living and for, for better or worse as a business owner, it's, it's frightening, but also awesome at the same time. So. Yeah. And I know you've recorded some, uh, some bands that are definitely in this conversation, uh, mothership being one of them, Mm -hmm. which I'm a big fan of. Um, what is it like working with these bands? I mean, do you, do you, do you try to stick with one genre kind of like this, or do you find yourself just people walking in and being like, well, I got to record a pop song and I don't know how to record a pop song, but you know, and, and you just, you, you know, try to apply what you know to it. Well, like, you know, since the studio or crystal clear is, like I said, it's one of the, the most well-known studios in Dallas. And so when I first started working there, like just the whole like it's it's never been completely focused on one genre of music it's mm-hmm. basically whoever whoever calls and books time and so you know i i learned you know from a couple other older engineers that taught me a lot and i sat in on a lot of sessions and and learned by doing you know recording gospel sessions and recording country sessions and doing jazz sessions and doing jingles and doing all this like the whole gamut of stuff you know, and, and that's, and we still do that, you know, like I um, was recording country just yesterday, this afternoon, I had some wacky session with these salesmen that are putting on some crazy show for their salesman club where they rewrote lyrics to a, <laughs> to a, to a new kids on the block song. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> whatever, but then, you know, I also, you know, recorded a, this a local band Realm Drifter, who's, who, or their stuff is great. And it's like kind of electric wizardy and, you know, it's, so it's, 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 I mean, that's one thing I actually like a lot is the variety. You know, I, I enjoy yeah. recording different types of music. You know, like I really enjoy recording country music because it's like you get to do 
you get to record fiddles, you get to record steel guitar, you get, you know, it's like just it's it's really interesting to me. And you know, yeah. so I I'm I'm happy to not just be doing one genre, honestly. How does it change how you approach Wofat at all? I mean, do you think more about how things are going to record as opposed to just being in a band and being like, some guy's going to figure that out. We just need to like play music. Oh yeah. I'm sure it does change. I mean, I, I think I'm very obsessive about our recordings and I've <laughs> been, I've become more so over the years, I guess, but which, which in, I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's, it definitely is when we finally finish an album, like we just finally did in whenever that was September, I guess, which had been, you know, long, like we had actually started recording that like, two years ago but uh anyways when we finally finish it i'm like man i'm so glad to be done with that because it's like i obsess over it for too long and, and you know i have the freedom to obsess over it because i'm doing all the mixing and, and tracking and but it, but it does make it hard especially doing the tracking it's hard to to do the engineering side plus also the play you know it's hard to it's hard to sort of separate the minds of you know an engineer on one hand performer on the other hand producer somewhere else so yeah. it, it does make it hard and you know, there's, there's times where i've thought well it'd be cool to maybe have somebody else engineer it or some but then you know i, I also don't know if i can let go of the control <laughs> right yeah you yeah know? exactly so. <laughs> i mean i i would assume that you don't really have a preference then it's just kind of uh you know all the parts of what makes you you is yeah i think so the recording playing yeah so let's talk about what Wofat is working on now, or has worked on, I guess, as you said, in September. Um, was this kind of a, like a pandemic um, album? You know, were you guys sitting at home and, and working on this, or were you guys getting together? And Or was this kind of always been in the works? Because it's been a little while since you put out your last Yeah, album. it's been way too long, actually. But uh, it, it was probably actually, you know, there was so much of it that we had done, like, especially in terms of writing prior to the pandemic but you know it, i think it this record i think weirdly just it took longer for a couple of reasons one partly just well one we, we we got a new bass player in 2016 which yeah that was a long time ago but he's, he's, he's still he this is his first record he played for studio record he's playing with us but mm -hmm. but you know that sort of that coupled with you know the fact that we're all you know, full-time employed and running businesses, each of us. And, you know, it, and then also trying to do, do what touring we're able to do. We didn't spend a lot of time those first maybe year or two after we got Zach doing new stuff at all. And so it kind of took a while to sort of, before we got back into the, that creative frame of mind. And so that kind of, like I said, set us back a couple of years. And then after that, it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just took longer to, the writing process just i don't know something some took longer this time but uh but actually at this point you know it's done you know it's i'm more excited about this record than any one that we've done i think it's our best thing so far but but uh yeah i don't know i mean it did the pandemic also did kind of slow things down because the plan was before the, the pandemic hit we were going to have it done like this that summer of 2020 mm -hmm. that was the plan because we had pretty much everything written at that point you know, we had had a, had a good bit of it recorded already. And so we, we were going to really focus hard, get it done. And then the pandemic hit, which, which, you know, meant we didn't actually get together for, what was that? Like maybe eight months or something like that before we got together again. Yeah. 
So how how is the sound? How has the the group changed over the years? I know you've had some lineup changes. Um, it, it has the focus changed at all on the aesthetic, on the vibe, on you know whether you want to stay heavy blues or kind of space metal or stoner metal or desert rock or you know have you have you changed up anything over the years or how do you how do you feel about it? I think it has changed. I think this record is more of a departure maybe than any of them. Really? so far and it's you know part of that one is 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 having zach and zach brings it uh just a very strong and individual voice to the bass playing aspect of things which adds just another dimension to the whole the the whole band vibe and the whole groove which is, is really cool and has changed you know kind of thinking a little bit in terms of solve the songwriting but yeah. you know also with this with this album you know i think i maybe haven't been listening to as much heavier stuff and maybe i've been listening to a little more jammy kind of and also maybe spacey stuff that has kind of influenced the writing a little bit so this record maybe i would say is has a little bit more of the jamminess to it and also i, I would say has more of a like 70s fusion influence to it um and it's not maybe as strictly bluesy in terms of the riffs like the, there's a little more expanding beyond just a blues uh melodic paradigm you know yeah so you know to me it, it, it's a very it's more varied i think in terms of the grooves overall and kind of goes yeah. some different some places that we haven't really gone before i would say cool well, it sounds exciting, and and I guess I should have probably mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but we have a song to play from this new record.
All right, the snows of Banquo. Is that how you say it? Four. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I'm saying it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so here, well, I'll, I'll give you a little backstory on this song. So okay. Uh, a friend of mine has a he he owns a uh, game company, and his his game company is they're called uh, Tuesday Night Games actually, and one of the games that they make is a sci-fi horror RPG role-playing role-playing game, and it's called Mothership coincidentally um but so he had contacted me about uh he he had an idea of you know because like with this game you know it's similar to like like D D or something where like they'll have modules that are different um you know scenarios that you can play through if you're playing the game and so he had come up with a, a module called the snows of Banquo four and wanted was asking me like his idea was originally to do a flexi disc and have us do a song and they would release a flexi disc with the module. And since then that's, it's kind of grown and, and he's actually, he may actually end up doing like a full LP and have some other bands on there too. But, but anyway, so the original idea was, you know, we talked about his concept of what the, the storyline for this sci-fi horror thing was. And, and then I wrote the song and wrote the lyrics kind of based on that. And, you know, and I knew like the whole time I wanted to also put this on the album because I was excited about the song and and it also kind of fits with the album because the album is very much more of a sci-fi kind of theme and futuristic in terms of what it's talking about and on a lot of on all the other songs. But but uh, you know when it it was his con you know uh, story concept also kind of worked with me uh, metaphorically to talk about some things politically just in terms of like disinformation and and like hive mind and how you know you can be led into just a place of madness and you know by you know just being fed the wrong types of information and things like that but so that was kind of a, just as a metaphorical thing that i had in my mind but, but anyway so that's the story with the song and the title and, and all that and i'm not sure when they're going to release the i think the release of the game the module will probably be kind of close to the album release time too so do you have a album release time in mind i don't know the exact date but we're releasing on ripple and um basically because of the vinyl backup in terms of getting vinyl pressed it's probably going to be may so which is a real bummer for me because i was like i said i was i'm really happy but you know i'm excited about this record and it's kind of a drag to have to wait yeah to to put it out but it is uh, do you have a, a name for the album? The name or the album is called The Singularity. Singularity, cool. I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, I, I've spent the last like week or so listening to a lot of Wofat, so uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm super pumped for it. I love the song, and I appreciate you, you know, letting us play it on this thing. So very cool, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah. So like I said, you're, you're the world premiere, so nobody else is very cool. It, so yeah, yeah. I hope everyone likes it. I, I certainly did. So. Right on, man. That was that was awesome. Thank you. Um, speaking of random little projects like that, that that you're contributing songs to, I kind of wanted to ask you about this project called um, Planet of Doom. Yeah. Do you know anything about this project? I this was years ago, quite a few years ago yeah. now. At this point, yeah. I don't know, like seven years ago, I think, when I first kind of found out about it, and it was really because I follow a lot of artists. I yeah. Uh, before I really got into music this music specifically and started slightly fuzzed or anything like that. I was just a, an artist and a graphic designer and I, I'm a sucker for animation 
and I found out about this Planet of Doom project, and I'm like, this is gonna be great. It's like heavy metal, but like stoner Doom yeah. style, you know. And people, they were they had like a Kickstarter at the time. You kick in money, and then they started kind of slowly announcing the bands and some of the artists. And that was so long ago, and I haven't heard anything about it really in a long time. But I know that you guys were going to do a track for it, right? Yeah, we did a track for it, and it, it's still going to happen. It, it, okay. David, David, uh, Paul Seymour, and uh, Tim Granda, they're, they're the ones that are doing it. And the reason it's taking so long is mostly because the, Tim is, is working on the animation by himself. He's one guy. And, you know, it's, they don't have, like they did the Kickstarter to help get some funds to get things going, but you know, the, the, the budget to, to have like multiple animators to really make, make this thing move quickly isn't there. And I, I did talk to David, uh, when was that? A few months, a few months ago. And, you know, they were hoping to get some more funding from some actual, uh, companies that would help do a, like a wide release of it. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know what the timeline is yet, but, yeah, I know it's going to happen at some point, and it's I it's I'm still really stoked about it. I think it's going to be awesome when it finally comes it out. It's going to be awesome. They've released a couple like different clips over yeah. the years, you know, on Instagram or YouTube or something, and just short clips with with some heavy music behind it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God, this is so fucking awesome. But it's got to <laughs> take forever to get like an hour and a half worth together because they're sharing, yeah. you know, like 20 seconds worth of clips at a time so yeah well that's the other thing is like having the artists you know they're they're contributing to it they're having to they're doing a bunch of pieces that they're using for you know creating animation from and and so it's it's a pretty complex process i think for them to create so yeah well i think they should reopen the kickstarter at this point because yeah. you know i think they can get a lot more people involved at this point and i would certainly kick in more money for that thing because i'd love to see it finished yeah me too yeah um so I, I have a segment called Dumb Questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a series of dumb questions. And feel free to answer in a dumb way or a thoughtful way. It's up to you. So, Oh, you cut out. Hang on. All right. Well, I there don't know where it cut out. I don't, I don't know where it cut out. I got, I got you back now. Yeah. Okay. All right, so dumb questions. I'm going to ask you a series of dumb questions, and you can answer in a dumb way or a thoughtful way. The choice is yours. First question. In light of our nation's obesity issues, would you ever consider changing your name to Woe Fit? (laughs) (laughs) No, but maybe Why Fat? Why why fat also works. <laughs> Question number two. Percentage wise, how much of the gathering dark was inspired by the insane ca- clown posse's annual the gathering of the jugglers? <laughs> Almost all of it, actually. Almost all of it. Like I said, you know, I was in Early two thousands. Now, odd sort of side story. Sure. Um, so this would have been right around, right, boy, like two thousand one, two thousand two, maybe something like that. You know, when I was, and I hadn't been working in the studio all that long. I'd been there for a few years, and I actually did a session with those guys, and because they really? were, yeah, they were on the road with this band called Twisted, uh-huh. and uh, and they 
basically came in, you know, one day, like they had the show the night before, I think, and or maybe they had the show that following night, I don't remember, but but they came in, you know, um, reeking of multiple things, <laughs> lack of shower, lots of smoking. And I just, I, it was a pretty simple session. I didn't do a lot. I did like just a bunch of like digital editing for various things for this, this twisted album. But, uh, but so, yeah, so I, I did meet those guys. They were kind of strange, <laughs> not, not the most friendly guys I've ever met, but, but it was yeah. fine. And it was, it was interesting to, so I don't know. <laughs> but no, honestly, it didn't influence the Gathering Dark at all. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, question number three: As a touring band, you're eating a lot of food on the road, and what food makes woe fat say woe fart? <laughs> Jeez, um... <laughs> I don't know. Um... Mexican food? I don't know. That's a, uh, yeah, I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go All with right. Mexican food. Tex-Mex. You should be used to Tex-Mex by now. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love Tex-Mex. You're a spacey, deserty band, and Star Wars is a spacey, deserty movie. Would you consider a Star Wars concept album and call it Woba Fat? <laughs> Maybe, actually. I always like Boba Fett, so yeah. That actually might I might be you may you may have you may have just inspired the next record. <laughs> Are you a Star Wars fan? Well, you know, I, I was a Star Wars fan in the when it first came out, and then I've kind of been disappointed with the the newer movies. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the newer ones, but I've seen like the you know, the the six or whatever. Yeah, like when it when the very first one came out in like nineteen seventy seven or whatever, I saw it like multiple times in the theater. What is the deal with Boba Fett? I, I don't ever understand really why everyone loves Boba Fett so much. Well, I, you know, I, I, all I know him from is from the original movies. So yeah, I, I don't really know what this what his status is now. But he always just seemed like a mysterious, cool looking dude to me. But okay, because people people seem to love him, and he just seemed like this like such a small character. Yeah, to me from seeing the movies, you know, not very frequently. But anyway. <laughs> but I guess to me, you know, it's like the, it's the mystery of him. I think it's, it's the, yeah, the, okay. You know, what, what's his backstory? You know, it seems like he's got a pretty interesting backstory. So, well, you can you can write a whole album about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, question <laughs> question number five. You have a song called "Analog Man." <laughs> Joe Walsh of the Eagles has a song and an album called "Analog Man." Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Wow. You have a song called "The Wolf." And Joe Walsh has a song called Wolf. You have The Midnight Cometh. Joe Walsh has Midnight Man and Midnight Moody's. So the question is, how long has Joe Walsh been in Wolfat? <laughs> but he's, he's actually played all the guitar parts. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, his, I'm his body double. <laughs> my, my original question for that was going to be something about how the song Analog Man was a, was supposed to be called Anal OG Man. <laughs> but but due to a typo, it came off as Analog Man on the album sleeve. Uh, you know, somehow we always have a trouble trouble with people not putting a space between woe and fat. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. Well, it, as I was doing some like research to see if you had ever done a single artwork for Analog Man or music video or anything, 
I went down this Joe Walsh rabbit hole because I found <laughs> Analog Man. So that's where that question came from. Awesome. You're wondering how I got there. <laughs> okay, so this is a good one. Wofat is named after a villain in Hawaii Five O. Is that right? That's that's correct. Yes. Okay, but since you're a Texas band, which villain from Walker Texas Ranger would you pick as a band name? <laughs> Running Wolf, Max Slater, Vince Pike, or Cliff Eagleton? My well, you know, I probably have to go with Vince Pike just because of the Pike reference with yeah with old Matt. These were my favorites, so I it's it's a tough call, but Vince Pike is definitely a good one. Yeah, I'd go with that. Okay, Vince Pike. All right, that was dumb questions. <laughs> right off. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, that's about all I got for you. I appreciate you letting us play uh, a single for everybody. I appreciate you talking uh, about you know the the early days of some of this music and and what it was like in, in Wofat. So. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thank you. All right. Um, we'll stay in touch, man. Um, I'm looking forward to the album when it comes out, and hopefully it's uh, sooner than later. Right on. All right. Later.